All right. Um, let me close that full screen. Uh, okay. Um, welcome everybody to C Star Presents. This is episode eighteen. Uh, I'm Abenezer. I'm here with my co-host Sam, and uh, today we're talking to uh, Susan Weiss Bolin. Is that how you say your last name? You got it. Perfect. Nice. <laughs> Even the Susan was right. <laughs> always nervous about that. And uh, Susan has a new book out. Um, and we'll be talking to her about Ayurveda, seasonal self-care rituals. <laughs> um, I got my hands on one of your previous books. I'm currently working my way through it. Yeah, that's the one. I, Isn't that pretty? Yeah. I, I got to say, even if they weren't mine, they look so good together, don't they? Mm. They definitely yeah. do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Maybe we're not so familiar with Ayurveda. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stop me anytime you have questions or you want to have a discussion about something. But so as Ebenezer said, I'm Susan Weiss Bolin. I'm, I'm from the Mount Washington Pikesville area of Baltimore. And I live in Ricerstown now, so not too far away. And um, I had a bookstore in Hamden for 10 years called Breathe Books. It was on 34th Street. And now there's a Dangerously Delicious Pies there. But it was a new age bookstore for 10 years with a little vegetarian cafe. And it was awesome. It was really, really sweet. But while I had the bookstore, I discovered Ayurveda, which is the 5,000 year old um, Indian science from India of health and healing. I like to say it's like Chinese medicine, but from India because people are so familiar with Chinese medicine, right? It's um, acupuncture is on every corner and so on. But um, Ayurveda, the term itself is not that familiar to everybody. It's Sanskrit, iron means science and Veda means life. So it's a science of life. And it's a whole system of health and healing, and it's related to yoga and meditation. So everybody's familiar with yoga and meditation. We call them the sister sciences of Ayurveda. But Ayurveda takes a really deep look at the individual person and takes their individual needs into consideration when there is illness or disease or how just to stay healthy in general. And so we say food is medicine. We use a lot of food in Ayurveda to help balance the body and bring us into harmony. So when I had the bookstore and I just, you know, I, um, I had these books on Ayurveda and I found it really interesting and I decided to delve into it more deeply myself. And I went out to California to the Chopra Center in San Diego. It's not there anymore, but it used to be. It was in 2007. And I decided to undergo an Ayurvedic detoxification um, treatment called panchakarma which means five actions and panchakarma are these like the, the body oilings and rubbing the body with different um, powders and um, doing oil massages and herbalized enemas it's all this stuff to try and get toxins out of the body and it includes the mind like getting toxins out of the mind as well as the body and eating a specific diet that's really easy to digest food, nothing processed, everything fresh. And we'll talk much more about that. But after that experience at the Chopra Center and I came back to Baltimore, I suddenly was like, 
oh my God, I felt so pristine. I felt so clean. It felt so amazing uh, that I decided that I needed to go deeper into this practice. And so for me personally, I lost about 50 pounds, um, 2007, 2008. And then I also lost um, 80 points off my cholesterol went from 260 to 240. It was insane. And so I, I was suddenly like, oh my God, I'd never been able to lose the weight before. And then so suddenly the weight was off and then I could deal with all my other issues, right? Because weight is like not the issue <laughs> and the weight goes away and then you have to deal with the rest of your shit. So, um, and so but that's what happened. And Ayurveda gave me this great framework to deal with that. And with the extra weight off of my body, I just felt healthier and more capable of dealing with whatever came my way. And it, it just was like, it just suited me. It was so great. So I decided to just get one certification, then another certification, and then more and more. And I started going to India and studying in India and then taking people on trips to India. And the, you know, I've been to India like a dozen times in the past 10, 12 years or so. And so it just sort of snowballed into this really big mountain of stuff that eventually I decided to close my bookstore because I really wanted to concentrate on my Ayurvedic practice. I was teaching cooking, doing consultations. Um, I had a meditation group for 10 years and so I, I closed the bookshop and I just started practicing Ayurveda full time out of my home. And that's pretty much where we are, except then the pandemic hit. So that's another story. But mm-hmm. Yeah. How <laughs> yeah, are you holding that, up? That just sort of lays it out for you. With the whole pandemic thing. How are you holding up? I know like everyone's life has just been thrown out of. Uh... Yeah. You know, um, I said we live pretty isolated from other people. So that's really great. And my husband and I both not that being isolated is great, but <laughs> during a pandemic, it's, I think it's, I feel um, more comfortable that we're not in the city. We did live in Mount Washington. The house is really close together. When I had my store, of course, I saw thousands of people. And so it just feels good to be out of that and that I don't need to, it's very scary, right? So I don't need to be afraid. We can go outside of our home and walk on the trails in the woods with our dogs and, you know, go shopping maybe once a month or order everything in. So we work from home anyway, my husband and I. So it just sort of, you know, we just don't go out anymore, which is sad. You know, we miss going to restaurants and like to the Charles movie theater and um, to the Senator, to Belvedere Square. We love Atwaters. And I wrote a lot of my book at Atwaters. So we're not, not being able to be in cafes is rough. But we, we're managing and I switched you know, all my clients to Zoom, which is actually great because now I have clients all over the world. You know, it's like they don't need to come to my house. They, they can like Australia, Ireland. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's great. So that's showing us this whole new way of living, of making a living. So, but I, you know, I can't teach cooking anymore. I can't take people on trips to grocery stores and show them types of foods to buy, but you know, we just have to manage and figure stuff out. And so that's what we're doing. And I, and I do want to say another thing though, because when the pandemic hit, you know, we're really into food, we're real you know, really into healthy food and so on. But when the pandemic hit, it was like all about ice cream and chips, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and bread and pasta. It was like, and we just, we just went with it, you know? So um, we sort of have calmed down a lot now and trying to get in more exercise and, and eat really healthy to, you know, support the immune system. But Uh, I just felt like we had to be really forgiving and say, oh my God, this is so scary. We don't know what the fuck is going on. I hope it's okay that I have a potty mouth. Yeah, totally. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
sorry, I can't like censor myself. Like, what the fuck is going on? And like, you know, it was scary. And so we just sort of like huddled in and, and ate foods that made us feel good. And um, now we sort of switched to lots of soups and vegetarian stews and things, you know, like heavy grounding foods like rice or pasta and roasted vegetables and things like that. So just things that make you feel um, safe. Mm. There is no doubt about it that we all have these memories of the food that made us feel the safest, right? Mm. We were kids coming home from school, maybe bad day or something, and mom made us something or dad. It it just... um, it's just the way it is. So I found we just had to be really forgiving about that and just go with it and just, but also at the same time, try to be mindful and, and healthy as well. But look at it all in a very healthy way. You know, not like, oh my God, I really fucked up. I shouldn't have eaten that. No, just let's take care of ourselves in every way possible. How are you guys handling the pandemic? <laughs> I'm doing quite well, to be honest. Like at least you know, some people out there are really struggling and stuff like that, but I've maintained a job through all this. And also like, you know, for me, at least I'm doing well throughout all this. That's great, Sam. Yeah. And uh, same thing for me. I've just kind of maintained everything that I've been doing. And then it also opened up like some more time for me to like explore different things. And I've really invested into this podcast, uh, since the quarantine happened, we've been going like really hard on uh, getting guests like you, Susan, and like trying to, you know, open up to the world. Uh, uh, you were talking about the foods and like allowing yourself to like be comfortable. And uh, uh, I guess that leads to my first question. I was, uh, I was, I had some familiarity with like the doshas and uh, Ayurvedic is uh, the idea that you find out what your dosha is and then you try to balance them all out or. Um, yeah, like, that's a question I had too, is I know if I'm not wrong, there's three doshas and you can take a test to figure out your percentages of them. But like, is there certain foods that you should or shouldn't eat to balance it all out? Exactly. Yeah, you guys hit on things like really exactly. People love to know about the doshas, which it's a Sanskrit word for your like your mind body constituents. Um, The word dosha can be translated into many different ways. One of the translations is imbalance. And so when we have too much of one dosha, we have an imbalance. So everybody is comprised of all three doshas and the doshas are based on the elements outside of us. So in nature, we have air, space, fire, water, and earth. And we are made up of those doshas. And in Ayurveda, there's like a certain percentage of each of them in us. And so the dosha that that is primarily comprised of air and space is called vata dosha, V-A-T-A. And that's the kind of person that's typically a bit ungrounded and a little bit distract, easily distracted, kind of flighty, airy, spacey person. They're usually kind of thin and willowy. Um, but because of that, um, that high percentage of air and space, they tend to have a lot of dryness in their body. They can suffer from arthritis or constipation, dryness in the bowels and the colon. Um, they can be like inflexible because things are like tight and hard. And so um, we look to give that person, the vata dosha person, more um, foods that are warm and lubricating to help give the, you know, feed the joints and be, have more sort of moisture in the body and also heavier foods to help them stay grounded. 
Um, so that's a, that would be like a typical Vata dosha person. And it's at the mind and the body, and we can go more into that as we move on. Um, then we have the second dosha that's comprised of fire and water, and that's called pitta, P-I-T-T-A. And pitta dosha tends to be really hot, fiery, intense. Um, they're a great speaker. They're very convincing people. Um, I don't know if you hear my dog growling a little bit <laughs> on the side here, but she's spotting something outside. If it gets too loud, I'll get her out of the room, okay? You just let me know. <laughs> She's very pitta. <laughs> Animals have doshas too. Oh, wow. Um, and so that person with a lot of fire in them, when they're out of balance, it can be, they can be very judgmental, critical, aggressive, very hot, easy to anger, um, impatient people it can be really rough when a pitta dosha is out of balance. And so in order to balance that side, if that person has the imbalance of pitta, we do cooling things and sweet things because a little bit more sweetness in their system helps to make them happier. And, um, the cooling foods, say foods that are more water have more watery content like cucumbers, zucchini, or mm. coconut and coconut water. Um, those things can really help to cool down the pitta. Also things that are like really clarifying and detoxifying like cilantro, parsley, there's all these fennel, cumin, coriander, there's all these different herbs and spices that have those different properties. So that can be cooling for the pitta dosha person. I always say, you can always tell the pitta, we just saw pitta, like it's still really snowy around here. And there was a woman outside running in shorts and a t-shirt. I'm like, that's a pitta, you know, or they're drinking like the ice frappuccino at Starbucks in winter, that's a pitta, <laughs> okay? So you can really see them. The vata is like all distracted by every shiny new object. She wants to start that project or this project or just, you know, kind of all over the place and can't get things done. Whereas the pitta is hyper-focused and really gets the projects finished is the pitta person. And then we have the one that's made up of the elements of earth and water. And that dosha is called kapha, K-A-P-H-A. So kapha dosha is like earth and water kind of, you know, like make mud, right? So they're kind of like heavy and solid. They're sort of the foundation that holds the, or the structure that holds the other doshas together is kapha dosha. They tend to be heavier than the other doshas. And it's all this like earth and water makes them like more rounded and fuller than the other doshas. They tend to be really nurturing and caring and just really lovely people. They sort of like to gather everyone around them. It's like the house where everybody wants to be at their house because they feel taken care of. But when they're out of balance, they can tend towards obesity, all of that earth and water just piling on. They tend to have this like this greedy, needy kind of uh, emotional um, outlook. They just need more and more to make them feel safe and nested and secure. And they, they tend to be the hoarders. Like they can't throw anything away, like might need this one day. So it's like all, all there. But like, they're like everybody's best friend, but they're the kind of person that, you know, on the airplane, when we all flew places and they said, you put your oxygen mask on before putting anyone else's oxygen mask on. The kapha is putting everybody's oxygen mask on first. And then they've taken care of everyone else. And then they're like, gasping for their last breath and they might put theirs on because they take care of everyone else at the expense of themselves so they tend to suffer and they have um illnesses that um are pretty much like too much water in the body like seasonal allergies bronchitis sinusitis i should mention that 
pitta dosha because of all the fire, they can suffer from things like migraines, acid reflux, heartburn, all that fire can create like rosacea, eczema, skin problems as well, like too much heat trying to get out of the body. So vata is cold and dry. Pitta is hot and a little wet. We say pitta is also a little sticky. They need some of that perspiration and sweat to sort of cool off the fire. And kapha is cold and heavy. And so those are the really basic qualities of the doshas. But most people can really see themselves when you even give a picture just like that. And um, we all have all three doshas. We need vata for the movement. We need pitta for the metabolism and the heat and the transformation. And we need kapha for the structure. But most people have one or two doshas that predominate. It's very rare to have all three doshas completely in balance. So Ebenezer, when you were asking like the food you eat food or Sam, you asked you eat food to balance your dosha, you eat, you, they all eat different foods because vata wants the foods for grounding, pitta wants the foods for cooling and kapha wants the foods for lightening up. And so we do have different categories of um, food choices that each dosha should eat. Hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another question I had is like, by what I've read, they said, I think it was like a large percentage of people in India do follow, you know, this science. But like, in your opinion, why do you think it hasn't spread majorly to the U.S. as of yet? Yeah, well, there's a, so that is true about India. It's like most people's parents and grandparents and great-grandparents followed Ayurveda. They treated um, everyone in the family with herbs and spices and food and all when they got sick um, and they healed just fine because India is so vast there aren't doctors on every corner but Ayurvedic doctors are called Vaidyas so mm. there was probably in every village Vaidya that could come but they they gave the knowledge to everybody so you knew how to fix yourself the reason why it's not hasn't caught on is really political and which is probably a surprising answer but you know the British took over India and they were there for over a hundred years I think I, I don't remember my history exactly right but it was Gandhi who fought against the British with his nonviolent, you know protest to get the British to leave India but when the British came into India they looked at Ayurveda like quackery like folk medicine and thought that they brought this western idea of medicine that was far superior and in many cases it was not far superior western medicine i think is great for like like i tell my clients like if you have like if you cut yourself go to the emergency room i'm not just going to give you some ayurvedic herbs and hope that it heals you know you got to go take care of yourself that way um, Western medicine is great for the acute, you know, emergency problems, whereas Ayurveda is great for the chronic problems and for prevention, prevention of disease and for increased longevity. But the, so it's really because the British came in and they actually uh, burned books. They closed Ayurvedic hospitals. They imprisoned people who practice Ayurveda. It's really, it was really horrible. And one of um, Mahatma Gandhi's um, goals was to bring Ayurveda back to India, which he did. But to say that our indigenous medicine served us well, very much like Chinese medicine served the Chinese people well. And people, there is a medicine in the Arab world and a medicine in the Jewish world. There's all these different you know, types of indigenous or Native American medicine. There's so many, we all took care of ourselves before Western medicine happened and people started giving you lots of pills to take care of the symptom rather than taking the time to get at the root cause of the problem. 
you know, an Ayurvedic consultation or an Ayurvedic doctor will take an hour or two at the initial consultation to discover what is going on with the person, whereas we all know Western medicine doesn't work like that. So this is a problem. So even in India, people were sort of brainwashed into thinking that allopathic medicine was better than Ayurvedic medicine or even homeopathy, which suffered under the British rule as well. But and so it's taken years for this to come back. But now in India, you can have homeopathy, Ayurveda, allopathic, Western medicine, all covered by your insurance now. And you can choose which um, type of hospital you're gonna to go to. And there are a lot of integrative practices in India. So you know in India, it's over a billion people. And you know how many Indians live in America too. I mean, there are so many Indians living here. And, and I do have Indian clients who are like, you know, my grandmother did Ayurveda. She made ghee, she made kitchari, she, but I really don't know what it meant. Can you help me figure it out? Like they know it's there, but they didn't get the full knowledge because somebody told them that it wasn't the best. So isn't that a shame? It's a real shame that that Definitely happened. Is. I know. I mean, I, I love the British, but what, the, what their governments did all over the world is just insane. They just decimated so many native cultures and a lot of them are still struggling to come back. So is there like, uh, I don't know if this like ties into it, but I've heard in the past, like, uh, I think they're called pranic foods. Does that fall into the Ayurvedic thing at all? Yeah, wow, Sam, that's great. Yeah, so prana is Sanskrit for life, life force. Um, like in, in Chinese medicine, it's called qi. So like acupuncture stimulates the qi to get the, that energy moving through the body. So prana, life force, also means breath. So we need the breath to come in and out naturally in order to fill us with, um, well, it does many things. We say like there's so many different types of breath work that can actually heal you from different diseases or problems, but food and everything that's living, everything that's sentient has a pranic force to it, just like it has chi. And so we have like different foods, like foods that are processed foods that have a shelf life for like a year and have a million different chemicals and um, preservatives and dyes and all that stuff. They have no prana. That food has no prana. So when you eat it, you're not nourished. Mm -hmm. You're actually depleted because your body works so hard to figure out what to do with that crap that it gets like exhausted. And then it just pushes that to the side because there's no nutrients to extract. And that gets pushed off to the side. It becomes undigested food, which becomes like a toxic waste dump in the body. But when we eat really fresh seasonal foods, foods that are in season, like not eating watermelon in December, but eating it in July, you know, when we eat the foods that are seasonal, the body just like relishes in it and can extract all those nutrients and um, get the waste ready for elimination and put the nutrients deep into the cells and the tissues and the fat and the bone and the nerve endings everywhere that everything in the body that needs to be nourished in the mind. And that's pranic food. That's food that has prana. It has life force. So it gives you life. <laughs> you can tell, like if you, we say in Ayurveda that we have six tastes that satisfy us, that are that healthy, that when you, we have all six tastes, we feel satisfied. And so those are sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, and astringent. And so what's the American diet? 
It's like sweet and sour and salty, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like sure. what you get at fast food restaurants. If you've got something green, it might be a piece of iceberg lettuce on your burger or something, but those densely caloric foods are considered sweet, not just um, things that we like sugary foods, but like foods like cheese or meat, things that have a lot of calories in a dense format are considered sweet foods and salty are all the, a lot of the processed foods with um, salt, sea salt and so on. And uh, sour foods can be things like citrus, lemon, stuff like that. But so pretty much our diet consists of that in America. And when you only have sweet, sour and salty, your body is just like crying out for those detoxifying foods of the bitter, pungent and astringent, which are like your leafy greens, your vegetables, your, um, uh, fresh fruits, I, uh, like um, apples can have a drying effect on the tongue or pears or spinach. And that actually wrings out excess toxins in the body. Kale, arugula, dandelion greens, chard, you know, a lot of foods that are like grandparents cooked with, like my grandmother was a, um, an immigrant from Germany, uh, came here, they, they're Jew well, I'm Jewish and they escaped the Holocaust and they came to America. My grandmother never cooked anything out of a bag. Like that was like, you know, she didn't dump something in or put something in a microwave. My grandmother rolled her own noodles. She made these things, I don't know, called Kanedalach. I don't know if it's Yiddish or German or whatever, but like potato patties and, and um, stewed greens and used real butter and whole milk. And she lived to be 92 years old, right? The woman wow. escaped the Holocaust, lived to be 92 years old and died in her sleep. It's beautiful. I mean, that's the way we want to go. But I, I don't remember seeing a um, single processed food in her house ever, you know, and that's the way many of us, many of us grew up with, you know, you, your grandparents or your parents or great grandparents. I like to counsel people if, they, if they're not quite getting how to eat, just think about like, what did your grandmother make, you know? mostly, I think it's probably good foods. I'm 57 years old, so I'm much older than you guys. So I don't know, maybe your great grandparents, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but if we just think back before, before, like, you know, uh, capitalism and whatever food manufacturers thought that we should have shit that we throw in the microwave that's ready for 30 seconds. And that's dinner. Like, are you kidding? You know, so we just have to like think back before that. And that's um, when the foods had prana. And when we had all six tastes in every meal, and you've got that bitter pungent and astringent, which are those foods that detox the body. If you only have sweet, sour and salty, you're going to have every disease in the world. You're going to have obesity, you're going to have depression, you're going to have cancer, arthritis, diabetes, I mean, it's endless. Just by changing the diet, you can change the person's um, disease. And I, I never tell anyone to get off their medicine, but if I have somebody start to, let's say, you know, make more soups and stews with fresh vegetables and greens and stuff, and slowly their, their blood pressure comes down, their blood sugar is stabilized because their bodies are so excited. They finally have a variety of foods that can help the body function better because the body is like freaking brilliant. Like it really knows whoever invented us, whoever created us, like gave us everything we needed. We have all the mechanisms inside to get rid of toxins and to absorb nutrients. But if we don't put it in properly, it's just not gonna happen, you know? But we're very resilient. So, you know, I was like 44 years old, I think when I lost all my weight. And then because of Ayurveda, I was able to keep it off. I mean, 
a lot of people who lose a lot of weight like that don't keep it off. But Ayurveda gave me every single tool and this knowledge to be healthy and to, to keep it off. So we just have to let the body do its thing by putting the right stuff in it mentally and physically. I really love this topic. Not <laughs> <laughs> this forever. I'm very enthusiastic. <laughs> so, um, as I've sort of um, started to immerse myself, I've I've kind of come to, I guess, kind of a cliff where it's kind of a chicken or the egg first, where it's difficult to kind of change your lifestyle, but to effectively change your lifestyle, you have to you have to change your lifestyle. Now I know that sounds kind of confusing, but I can try to break it down. Where yeah. it's like uh, I think the example in your book was uh, toothpaste, right? Mm -hmm. uh, about the microplastics and then all the chemicals and fluoride. I've been meaning to change the toothpaste I use for years now. I've gotten <laughs> recommendations from people, but then I always end up reverting to just whatever we have at home. And mm -hmm. uh, it's like chicken or the egg, right? Like first step, you take that first step, but to get to taking that first step, there needs to be like all these things. And uh, let me know if that makes sense at all. Oh, it makes perfect sense, um, Ebenezer. This is why I tell my clients it's really baby steps. You have to do one step at a time, but I'm, I'm here to help you. <laughs> so what, what neighborhood do you live in? Where do you live? I'm in Catonsville. We both You're are. You're Catonsville. Yeah. Okay. So um, you have, oh my God, in Catonsville, there is a store called Patel Brothers that is an Indian food store on Route <laughs> So Patel Brothers is like the most amazing Indian store. And if you took a trip there, like if there wasn't the pandemic, I would meet you there. But they, besides the fact that you can get all these organic spices and lentils and beans and everything, they do have um, like a cosmetic section and so on where you can get like really good Indian toothpaste that um, is just great. It's herbal toothpaste, Ayurvedic toothpaste you can get there. But also like if, um, I don't know if there's a, uh, uh, I don't, is there a mom's market over by you? Or just- No, the closest one to us is I think in Jessup. Oh, right. There is one in Jessup, right. And there's also Hamden and Timonium. But I'll, I'll just put, I can put a, um, a website in the chat where we get a lot of our products. But mom's market carries everything I talk about. Before the pandemic, I took my clients shopping for this very reason to help them find where these things are. And so they can start to incorporate them into our lives because like at moms, there's a huge like body product section, same at Whole Foods. There is no Crest toothpaste. There is no Colgate toothpaste. There's no Sensodyne toothpaste. There's none of those because they all have what you said, like microplastics. I mean, I think there were some Colgate, they had, they had these beads like plastic beads, yeah. like you spit that into the sink and then the fish eat it. I mean, if that doesn't, and then maybe you eat the fish and then you're eating those plastic beads. If that doesn't make you want to switch toothpaste, I don't know what will. <laughs> but there are these beautiful Ayurvedic toothpaste and like neem base or tea tree oil, just that they don't have anything artificial in them. You know, if, if something says don't swallow, like your toothpaste tube says do not swallow, I ain't putting that shit in my mouth. Are you kidding me? I mean, why would you brush your teeth with it if it says exactly. that? Exactly. 
you know, it's really funny that you pick toothpaste because I'm a huge zealot for the right toothpaste. But I'll tell you something that you might have in your house. Do you have a bottle, I mean, a box of baking soda in your house? Yeah, I believe so. Arm & Hammer baking soda. Put a little bit into a dish, put it next to your um, bathroom sink, wet your toothbrush, stick your toothbrush in your baking soda and brush your teeth with it. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Baking soda is a fantastic toothpaste. So you could also do that, but seriously, it is, well, that's true. I mean, you could do that. So that's great. I do it too, because it really whitens the teeth. Um, but we just want to do one step at a time. But I, I tend to start with changing food because our minds can be really foggy and unfocused because of the food we're eating. And then we don't have that energy or the ability to make that decision. I'm gonna to go to the store, I'm gonna buy new toothpaste, I'm gonna to buy different shampoo or, or whatever, because we're dragged down by our minds. Mm -hmm. And we feel lethargic and dull and inert. We have a lot of toxins moving through the body. So we don't have this get up and go to say, I'm gonna go make a change. So first I like getting people to eat the best foods for their dosha. Like everybody can benefit in the morning by drinking some warm water with a little bit of lemon or lime in it. Just like before you drink coffee or something caffeinated or something with sugar in it, just hydrating the body with this hot water. It hydrates the tissues and it helps to get rid of the waste. That right there, it's such a small thing, but it brightens your mind and it just energizes the body. And so if I can just get some of my clients to just drink hot water with lemon for a month, I'm happy with that, you know? And then we start to move on from there step-by-step. Step. But if you, I mean, what other challenges do you, do you guys find? I can help you get all your, ta your challenges. <laughs> oh, I'm going to put in the, the chat here um, a place where we buy a lot of our products. It's called vitacost.com, V-I-T-A-C-O-S-T, vitacost.com. And I also think Thrive Market. They have all the organic stuff, all the good toothpaste, all the good soaps and shampoos and, and all the really great foods, almost everything you can get at Vitacost if you're not going out shopping right now. Yeah. And um, go ahead, Sam. Uh, what exactly in like, uh, I guess, cosmetic products makes them non-Ayurvedic? Because like me personally, I switched over for like non-fluoride toothpaste like yeah. quite a long time ago. And then I stopped using... Uh, aluminum based deodorants, deodorants and stuff like that but I never knew what the full health benefits is like I heard fluoride could lead to like certain ailments and the aluminum they were doing studies saying like it might lead to like breast cancer and stuff like that and that's the reason I stopped using them but what would make them like Ayurvedic or non-Ayurvedic for like cosmetics yeah so I think in Ayurveda we look at everything like it could either be poison or it can be medicine and if it's not medicine, it's poison, basically. So something like, you know, aluminum, heavy metals, things in your blood that get into the system, we look at that. It doesn't, there's nothing beneficial about adding aluminum or fluoride to the body. I mean, I think they're even seeing, you know, the problem with the teeth is that people just started giving their kids Coke mm -hmm. and sugary foods and stuff like that you know? And so we didn't need to coat with fluoride. And then you're drinking fluoride, it goes all through the system. There's all these tests out that talk about fluoride, almost, almost kind of like equating it with lead poisoning. I saw some studies, I don't know what's true, and I'm not a scientist, but that it can really dull like the mind and there's this blood brain barrier. And when you're too young, and it goes through it, it can really um, stifle like, you know, growth and so on. 
but um, things like preservatives and um, dyes, like the different colors that they add into, I don't know why you have to dye a toothpaste or a deodorant or a shampoo, but they do. I mean, they dye food, you know, and stuff, um, they're food dyes, but it's, um, I, I don't want to like say exactly, but like I said, because I'm not a scientist, but I would only look at it and say, if it's not necessary, don't put it in your body because it's just going to make your body work really hard to try and get rid of it, or it's going to settle somewhere where it's not going to do you any good. So in Ayurveda, we want every single ingredient to be something that's beneficial. So like for deodorant, like baking soda is like the greatest thing in the world. So for deodorant, there's baking soda based deodorants, or you could just take that baking soda that you have out for your teeth, put a little bit onto wet hands and just put it under your arms. You will be fine. But then there's also this whole thing about the skin microbiome and not using deodorants and just letting everything, all the good bacteria exist on the body and you might not even have body odor. But um, so that's the way I think of it. It's either a poison or it's medicine. And if it's not necessary, it's going to end and might end up being detrimental to the body. Yeah. And uh, just about the deodorant, I'm pretty positive the deodorant I use has aluminum in it. And then also like um, in the book, you recommend like a schedule, like the time to wake up, time to eat and then time to go to sleep. Yeah. I do the exact opposite. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm aware of these things, but doing the change is like taking a lot of effort. And uh, just to go back again, uh, in the beginning of quarantine, I was in this meditation group over Zoom. And uh, that's where I first started doing Qigong, right? And uh, for someone that like didn't really do anything like that for for most of my life, getting to like, I say I got to meet my body, right? Like really listen, like breathe, take things slow, right? And then calms down your mind. And then like your body will speak to you. It'll tell you what it needs. And like, um, so... Uh, could you speak a little bit about that? Like, uh, will your body tell you what you need if you if you listen? Uh, or do you have to stay a consultant of someone for, uh, you know, for as long as you're alive? Well, you know, uh, a consultant can help point out things to you. But my goal is to teach you things and then move you on (laughs) so you can live your life and figure it out yourself. But that the way you said that, Ebenezer, is so beautiful. Like, you know, you listen to your body and it can teach you. So definitely that happens. And things like yoga, where you're moving with your breath. You know, like real, real yoga is not like, you know, in a hot room or sweating and stuff like that. It's like, it's, it's this movement where you're breathing it like Qigong and Tai Chi, you're moving with your body and breathing with your body. And you're like a hundred percent centered. And that's where you really start to know yourself. You're like, wow, this feels good. That doesn't feel good. And you can start to figure out what nourishes you. And it's the same with food. You can figure out, does this food actually feel good? Is it nourishing me or is it not making me feel good? But to get there, you do have to take these these baby steps I'm talking about because we have to start detoxing the mind and body. And so meditation definitely detoxes the mind. It can help you face like raw emotions and figure out what to do with them, 
how to let them go, how to act on them if you need to, and then how to like get rid of all that junk so that you can just have like this like really calm, quiet mind, and then to know what to do when things arise rather than just like lashing out at somebody to know how to take a breath and to examine and to understand what's going on before you make a decision what to do with that thought or that situation or that action. And the same with food. Once we start to eat the food that's best for us, we can make decisions. We can be like, yeah, is this going to serve me right now? Are these French fries from McDonald's really what I need right now? Does it really make me feel good? Does, or does it just make me want more? Like it's an addictive kind of thing, right? What's a better choice? Maybe I really want potatoes, but maybe having a baked potato or a roasted potato is a better idea than a potato immersed in oil and fried and salted and so on. So we, we start to like think about it and make these better decisions, deciding what feels better. And, and I'm not kidding about starting your day with some hot water and lemon or lime. I'm not kidding when I say that could be like the first step on your journey to making better decisions about the food that you eat. And um, so it really is these small steps and just having that clarity of mind can help you make better choices. Yeah, I was really on top of it for those couple months and then the rest of the world uh, happened and then, you know, I kind of yeah. fell off the horse. Um, so that's what you'd recommend to start off with is uh, like warm water with lemon. Yeah. yeah. So for, for most people, so let's say if you're, if you know, you're a pitta person and you have a lot of heat in you, it's better to use lime. Mm -hmm. um, but the other doshas, kapha and vata, just a little squeeze of lemon and just sipping some hot water in the morning. You know, I mean, there's a whole actually oral care thing that we do every morning. You know, there's all this daily routine stuff. It's like scraping the tongue like using a tongue scraper, which I have in my bathroom, I'm not going to grab it right now, but we scrape the toxins off our tongue, even before we eat or drink anything, because when we sleep at night, the body processes all the nutrients that it needs to nourish everything and everything, all the bacteria that's getting ready for waste. It comes out in our bowel movements and in our urine, but also it comes out on our cheeks and our tongue. And so by scraping the tongue, you get rid of the toxins that on, on your tongue. So you don't like if you drink something before that, you just sort of repopulate your system with a lot of that bacteria that it tried so hard to get rid of. So I would suggest that oral care be maybe the one of the first things you look at scraping tongue brushing with a good toothpaste, and then drinking your your hot water if that works for you. Yeah. But you know, I have, you know, I also look at your lifestyle, I try to figure out what's going to be like, um, what's going to most match what you need in your life. And, um, but if that, if that would work, that's a good thing. I get a lot of my products at mom's market or Banyan Botanicals, which is B-A-N-Y-A-N, -A -A Banyan. And they have lots of organic um, oils and even spices and herbs, but they have tongue scrapers and we use oils for everything. We oil the nose, we oil the ears, we oil the body. We use lots of oil to protect us from environmental toxins and also to help the body get rid of uh, toxic stuff inside. But slowly, slowly, and never beat yourself up. Like I said earlier, the body is really super resilient. It can heal itself. It just has all these magical ways. Once you start giving it what it needs, we can really learn to heal ourselves mentally and physically. So is there any practice in Ayurveda of like uh, fasting or anything? Like I know that's kind of a new fad. I feel like I 
go online, you'll read a million things about like water fasting or like so many days worth of fasting. Is that like a practice in Ayurveda? There is a practice of fasting in Ayurveda and it's mostly, um, it depends on your dosha, like vata dosha, that really airy spacey dosha. We don't really recommend fasting because they're usually quite thin and they don't have a lot of reserves. They tend to be depleted. And so fasting would further deplete them and put the vata out of balance. Uh, pitta dosha, it has a stronger build that fires. So they can actually sustain a fast pretty decently. And kapha dosha has a lot of extra reserves so they can fast as well. But we do different types of fasting in Ayurveda. Um, first of all, there's intermittent fasting, which is a term that gets a lot of um, use these days. So in Ayurveda, we recommend that you don't eat between meals. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Your lunch is the largest meal of the day because you need all that energy in the afternoon. And then dinner time is our lightest meal of the day because unless you're working the night shift, otherwise you're not doing much more. So we have a light dinner, something very easy to digest, low in protein in the evenings. Um, no snacking in between so that the body can dig deep and use the stored pockets of energy, which are which is your undigested food. So the body can go in and use that for the energy it needs. And that's how we naturally get rid of that and detox the body. So three meals a day, light dinner. And then, so we have this intermittent fast of four or five hours between meals. And then we like to have the last meal of the day about three hours before bed, which Ebenezer, I understand your bedtime might be a little bit different than mine, but I tend to go to bed at like 10. So I try to have the last morsel of food in my mouth around seven. Sometimes there's popcorn at nine o'clock, you know, it happens, but we try to have seven o'clock. And so from 7 p.m. for me, I'm not hungry when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry till about 10 or 11. So I had this fast from 7 p.m. till 10 or 11 in the morning. That's a huge fast. And the body is able to um, use those stored pockets of toxins really to get rid of them out of the body to help me keep going. And then when I eat at 10 or 11, it's a large meal sometimes. And then my next meal will be like a seven or six, you know? And so that's like a two meal day, which for me, who has a lot of kapha, that works well. But for somebody who's vata, that would not work very well. Vatan should eat in the morning, but they get kind of spacey and forget. But pitta wakes up hungry. I say they wake up hangry. I think the term hangry was created for pitta dosha. It's like, feed me now. Like my husband will eat within 10 minutes of getting up. And I have no idea how that happens. But he just has to. And I don't eat for hours. So it, you have to look at your own metabolism and figure it out. But um, there's also about the fasting, Sam, there's like, you can do like a juice fast in um, for certain doshas. It's springtime, what we're going into right now, like today feels so spring-like um, here in Baltimore, our, our um, seasons have doshas as well. And so this is kapha season when the earth is heavy and wet, like all this snow melting, it's like creating this heavy, wet, dense, dull, inert kind of earth. It's very um, muddy and so on. So that's very kaphic. So we want to do the opposite and eat foods that are lighter and more detoxifying, cleansing, clearing foods, like everything that starts growing now, the, all the different greens and everything can help us clear out the heaviness. Um, but I wanted to say, oh, we do something called a mono fast or a mono diet. And that's a, that is an Ayurvedic fast of eating one type of food for like three to five days. 
And that food is called kitchari, um, K-I-T-C-H-A-R-I, which is made of split yellow mung beans, white basmati rice, ghee and spices and some vegetables and a cilantro maybe and parsley because those are very cleansing as well. And so we, I recommend some clients to start with the kitchari fast of eating kitchari for breakfast, lunch and dinner for three to five days. It's a, it is still, that, that meal is a complete protein. The mung beans and the rice and everything make an absolute beautiful, there's so many vitamin Bs and nutrients, and minerals and everything in that dish that that's all you need to live on. And your body knows it. Like when you eat kitchari, it's just like, oh, you feel so satisfied. It hits like every note. And you can really do that for um, three to five days. And when you have these treatments I mentioned in the beginning, Panchakarma, you're fed kitchari for practically every meal because it's easy to digest, easy to extract the nutrients. It's simple to make, and it makes everybody feel satisfied. You're not hungry. Like, I don't want you to suffer in Ayurveda. I never want you to suffer. I want you to have your, I want you to be happy with your food. I want you to feel satisfied and to um, be able to make everything yourself and then to go out and live your life. That's a long answer to is there fasting in Ayurveda. <laughs> um, when you were talking just now about the, like springtime, spring has its own dosha. Uh, how much of, our own like personal doshas, how much is that influenced by the environment we're in? 100%. 100%. Okay. 100%. So um, fall and winter, that's, that's what the new book is all about. The seasonal self-care rituals mm -hmm. for how to work with every season and how it affects your doshas. So fall and winter is vata, spring is kapha, summer is pitta. We kind of have like three seasons. And so every, every person is affected by the seasons. And usually, I mean, you know, we have you eat to balance out your dosha if you have a particular ailment or a problem or something's really out of whack or out of balance. Otherwise, you can just eat with the season. So in the um, vata time in fall and winter, when it's dry and cold, you want foods that are more lubricating and warming. And in springtime, when it's heavy and wet, you want food and cold, you want foods that are warming and drying and lightening as well. And in the summertime, when it's really hot and sticky in Baltimore anyway, you want foods that are uh, cooling and drying. But like if you live in the Southwest, you want foods that are gonna add a little bit more moisture because it's so dry. So we're completely affected by the seasons and we need to shift our diets when the season begins to change. We can't keep eating ice cream in December but it might be nice and satisfying in July or August, but it's certainly not helping us very much in the winter time or even in the springtime when the earth is heavy and that's kind of like heavy or even things like yogurt that's heavy and viscous. That's not really a food to eat in the springtime when it's the same outside. So what we look is to do the opposite. So we're just looking at the opposites. So when it's dry and cold, we want things that are warming and lubricating. When it's hot, we want things that are cool. So everybody can do this. We just need to pay attention to what's going on around us. And everybody can make that decision. Oh, this food is just going to add more of what's already out there. But I mean, we in my books, in both books, I think I have grocery lists and you can find them online, how to shop for each season and also how to shop for your dosha, what to eat. That was wonderful. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about your book, the new book, Seasonal uh, Cure. And I guess that answers that question. And now I'm caught a little off guard because that well, was I'll, I'll tell you though something. I'll tell you though something. We talked about meditation. So what I do in this book is I think it's really neat because I was able to uh, create meditations for each season as well. Mm -hmm. And so I really took a look at what are the qualities of the season and how does it affect our minds and what kind of meditation would help us balance that. And so there's meditations for lightening up and clearing out and for grounding. And then I also work with the chakra system. Are you guys familiar with the chakras? Yeah, a little bit. I was going to ask you that. I actually have like no knowledge on that. Yeah, the chakras are really neat. It comes from this like ancient Vedic wisdom from India. They're the seven major energy centers in our body, basically, from the root chakra at the base of the spine to the crown chakra at the top of the head. So we have a third eye chakra. Uh, throat chakra, the heart chakra, solar plexus, um, and so on. And so th those chakras, I connect them to the seasons as well. So like we want to be, um, let's say the first and second chakra are more of our grounding chakras, the ones closest to the earth at the base of our spine. And so how to do meditations to connect us to that area to help us be grounded and feel safe and secure and at home. Each of the chakras has a color. It follows the rainbow, um, red to the base and then uh, violet at the top. So it goes up. The heart is green. The throat is blue. It's very beautiful. And you can start to visualize the chakras to help you um, sort of focus more on that area that might need help. And they also have sounds. They have different uh, stones, different elements, different essential oils that are connected to each chakra. So it's a really cool way to go internally. So in the book, there's regular meditations for the seasons as well as chakra meditations for the seasons too. And then um, I do talk a lot about essential oils, about different blends you can make, uh, different essential oils for the seasons to help you balance that way as well. We look at all of the senses. So it's not just a lot of it is food, but it's not just food. It's really how to fulfill all of our senses, smell and sound and taste and listening and, and all of that. And so the book is full of different advice for that and uh, different teas you can make, different spice blends you can make. But everything that everyone can use, regardless of your dosha, that you can use in season to help you feel more balanced within that season. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> it's all pretty interesting. Like, uh, I try to follow stuff like getting onto like a personal tip, like uh, almost like Ebenezer was saying, like when the whole pandemic hit and all this kind of stuff. Ebenezer knows this. This is kind of like a personal spiel, but I used to weigh 250 pounds. Oh. And after eating good through now, it's been about maybe two years. I've dropped all the way down to 170. And it was all really because like I followed a regimen of pretty much eating and doing stuff as close to nature as possible. So like everything you've been saying so far is really kind of like uh, steering in the same direction as what I've followed so far. Oh, that's so awesome. And my highest weight, I was 240 <laughs> when I was in my 30s. So that that's just fantastic that you found the way to do it. And it's absolutely the right way. It's nothing like, you know, crazy fad diet that you can't, um, that you can't sustain. But eating with nature and as close to nature as possible is what does it for you. That's, that's great. I'm sure you I'm sure you benefited in so many ways besides physically as well, right? 
Oh yeah. I feel like mentally, physically so much better. Like, uh, like now, even like on the daily, I used to like crave things like you were talking about like ice cream and stuff like that. And now, like if I ever really want like a sugar kick, I might just grab an apple or like an orange yeah. and it like does the same thing in my opinion. It does. And you're absolutely right. Cause your taste buds change. It all changes, you mm. know? And y'all, that's awesome. That is so great. Good for you. Thank you so much. Congratulations to yourself too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to feel healthy. It's, um, you know, I was older than you when I finally lost the weight, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's sort of, it's a real blessing to just to be able to not think about that too much and just sort of go on with all the other more important things in life. And also to know your dosha. So like, um, um, like as a primarily kapha dosha person, I'll never be as thin as a vata. That just won't happen. That's just not my natural body type, you know? And so we have to understand that, like we all can't be the same one type, you know? And we have to really just, really just fall in love with who you are and just love yourself so much that you just want to feel good and do things that make you happy. And that's, that's really what I find. I had been a meditator for many years in my late twenties, I started meditating and doing yoga. I didn't discover Ayurveda until my forties. So I had this foundation though of meditation and yoga that was telling me to feel good with who I was anyway. But, you know, Ayurveda for me seemed to be the little missing puzzle piece that put it all together. And, but, you know, for somebody else, it might be something else, you know, so you just find what clicks for you. And then you just stick with it, because it, it becomes your lifestyle, and it becomes easy, and you don't have to second guess it, you know. And that's, uh, but I just really want everyone to feel happy with who they are. And then the rest sort of like falls into place, I think. Yeah. And um, just to take it all the way back, right to the bookstore, I discovered you I go to Towson and I was looking to start like a meditation group for Towson because uh, I know there's like some meditation group on campus, but because of the whole quarantine thing and I was looking into that, I typed into the search thing on Towson uh, meditation and then a flyer of yours popped up. I think you might have given like a talk or something. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she has a bookstore in Hamden. I've been there. And then I just reached out. Right. So, uh, uh, I just assumed that you, you, you were doing the Ayurvedic thing and then you just started the bookstore. Now I find out that you've had the bookstore and then you discovered Ayurveda. So how did that go about, like, what led you to owning a bookstore? Oh, wow. So, um, wow. Owning a bookstore is awesome. I, let's see, I, um, to try and give you a short answer. So like I said, I grew up in Pikesville and then I went and I lived in Israel for a long time. I lived in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem for like a dozen years. And, and um, when I came home from Israel, I was, I decided to move back to America in the mid nineties. I don't know if you were born yet, <laughs> but the back in the dark ages of the mid nineties, um, there was a local bookstore in um, Pikesville called Bibolo. And um, I took a job there and my dad, I came back to take care of my father who was dying of brain cancer. And so I took a part-time job at Bibolo to have something to do. And, and I loved, I mean, I took the job because I love bookstores, but I loved being in the bookstore. And then my dad passed away and I went back to Israel, but then I got, I don't know, I didn't know what to do with myself. And 
I did come back to America. I was in my early thirties and, and I decided just to work at the bookstore while I figured out what I wanted to do. And sort of one thing led to another, to another. And I said, I'm just going to have my own bookstore. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles for some business thing. And I, I went into a, a bookstore that it was there at the time called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, which had been there for many, many, many decades. It's closed now, but it was a new age bookstore. And it had sections like on reincarnation and chakras and angels and Zen and Buddhism. And I would, and that was really what I loved. I loved all that stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. And so I, it just overtook me for two years. I planned it. And then I found the spot in Hamden and, and I opened it in 2004. And I just loved it. It was super, super successful. It was so adorable. I, I mean, it was just fantastic. But then after I'm, it served its purpose in many ways. Like my husband walked in. He was not yet my husband. <laughs> I met my husband in the bookstore and uh, that was beautiful. So many incredible people walked in, but Larry is one of the most incredible. And then I married him. And, and then another person came in and was fostering a little puppy and we took her, Ella, and she became our first dog. And now there's three. So, so many blessings and amazing things came from that bookstore. I started the meditation group. I started my Ayurvedic practice. It was exactly what I wanted to do at the time. And I listened to myself and I did it. Like I quit my job. I got investors. I like, I like made it happen. And then after 10 years, it was like done. I was like, okay, next thing. And then what happened when I, when I shut my bookstore out of the blue, I got that contract. I got a call to write this book. You know, this company, it's a media company, they called me out of the blue and they said, we want you to write a book. And then that led me to getting an agent to getting me the next book with Simon and Schuster. And so everything just goes like one thing to another to another. Larry and I have been married over 10 years now. And we, you know, it just, it's just, I think when you follow your heart, like you got to do what you want to do. Like everybody in my family was like horrified. I was going to quit my job and open, who opens a bookstore? And I don't know. They're like, you just got to do what you want because life is short. Life is really short and not to go too far overboard. But when I was 13, I had a very bad accident. I fell through a glass door when I was 13 years old and I was clinically dead. But then I came back. I think they brought me back and I have scars all over my body and stuff. I nearly died for good when I was 13 in 1976, but I came back and it was like, you, I got this option. And so whoever it was, they said, you got to do what you got to do with your life. So just go grab it and go do it. And then, you know, I moved to Israel. I traveled the world. I learned languages. I came home, I opened the bookstore, blah, 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 blah. And it just leads to this really fulfilling life. And then there's just like, there's no boundaries. There's no, no obstacles. You just, do what you, you listen to your heart and you can't fail. When you listen to your heart, you can only succeed because you're doing what you want to do. And so even if it seems like a failure, there's a success in there and you keep moving on from that. And so that adds a really long answer to what started the bookstore. But I want you guys to know and, and all your listeners that you really can make anything happen. It's nobody does it to you. You do it to yourself. There's no outside forces against you saying you're a victim. You can't do this. Who told you you could do that? That doesn't exist. It's in your own mind. As soon as you get rid of that, you're, you know, there's no limit. It's limitless what you can create. I also believe kind of like the same like context of thinking because like uh, 
I used to watch videos and they would say like, uh, who were you like before society kind of like told you who to be? Because I feel like so many people nowadays, especially like me and Ebenezer's age, like listen to like exactly what their teachers tell them, their parents. And then they just follow this whole regiment of things to do. And then they might find out in the future, they didn't even really like doing any of that stuff at all. And now they're stuck in another chapter of their life. You know, right. so I always try to figure, uh, I try to follow like where the wind kind of takes me. And every single time so far, it's been like a, a great path in life, really. I got the chills. I love that. <laughs> I love the wind takes you and you just go, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sam, what's your dosha? I can't remember to be 100% honest. I did the little test, but I sent it to you. I have, yeah. I have no Actually, clue I can check for you though. I think you're Pitta Kapha. I think I you think might be right. I think you're a person. <sighs> yeah. And um, Ebenezer, I think you're Vata Pitta. Yeah, I'm Vata all the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam is Kapha Pitta and yeah, uh, I'm Vata. That. Yeah. I'm pretty good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. And so you just embrace that and you, and you be the best you can be at your, you know, particular doshi combinations it's great yeah and uh i don't want to hold you uh up too long um final messages for our audience sam you got any questions uh i don't have any more questions uh, right now um one thing most definitely we might uh want to do a part two right definitely definitely uh, yeah, one of the things I've found is that, like, as soon as you stop the recording, a hundred different questions come up, like, throughout the week. And I know that there's at least, like, 20 questions that I've thought of that have just escaped my mind during the conversation. But well, I'm, I'm here for you. That's great. <laughs> How do yeah, I respond I, to that? I love talking to you guys. It's great. It's really great. Thank you. Yeah. We loved having you. <laughs> I'm really been looking forward to this out. for weeks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, me too. I love that you reached out to me and then I went and listened to some of your previous podcasts and all that. You guys are awesome. Thank it's you. really great what Thank you're you. doing. All right. Um, I'm going to stop the recording now.